You are listening to the 3CR podcast of Psychedelia. Psychedelia is broadcast live every Sunday from 2pm. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au. afternoon and welcome to In Psychedelia on this Sunday afternoon and uh, I hope you've been enjoying your day so far. It's back into that sort of weirdly summery autumn start. Cold nights but warm, nice days. Um, I do like to show uh, start the show with a bit of um, uh, Nick's analysis on the weather. I don't know, Melbourne thing. Um, um, pr- probably not. It probably bores you. My name's Nick Wallace. This is In Psychedelia. We're a show about drugs, actually, not weather. Um, we're a show about drug policy, about uh, drug, drug research, uh, about... What is a drug, anyway? About how do we define these things and how do they uh, permeate through society? How do they affect society in all sorts of different ways? Because uh, oftentimes that drug, uh, that word drug, um, is a bit of a loaded word where people will only associate those substances on the schedules, on the prohibited schedules with that term, and then will say things like, oh, but these drugs that I like, they're not really drugs, they're medicines. But it's a bit silly, isn't it? We're playing sort of rhetoric games. They're all drugs. They're all substances that have a psychoactive effect, an effect on your brain. That's why it's that's that's why it's a drug. And that's what we're going to talk about. Actually, I mean, this afternoon we're here to talk about it uh, with specific focus on New South Wales. Uh, New South Wales over the past um, few months has um, basically launched all-out culture war and focused that culture war on. New South Wales's music festivals. Uh, Gladys Berejiklian and the Liberal government uh, in New South Wales have introduced strict new measures on music festivals, sending some some music festivals out of business and sending others over state borders uh, to escape these restrictions. Uh, there have been protests in Sydney. There was a protest just a couple of weeks ago, the Don't Kill Live Music protest. Um, there have been political. There are political parties now because this is all sort of an extension of the Keep Sydney Open stuff as well and the lockout laws that have absolutely decimated nightlife in Sydney um, and and really uh, put a hampering on on that ability to engage in culture. So this afternoon, with one week away from the New South Wales state election, it's next Saturday, we're going to be joined by a few guests from New South Wales, including uh, David Shoebridge, uh, a Greens MP in New South Wales. And also uh, Tyson Coe, who is from the Don't Kill Live Music Party. They're, they're running a political party in New South Wales, and he's going to join us as well and talk about a few of the issues. Uh, but before we get underway, just want to let you know about a few events that are coming up soon. Uh, two events that we're actually going to be involved in. One, definitely confirmed. The other one, I'm going to tell you about it now because um, I'm going there regardless. Whether or not we'll be broadcasting live or I'll be bringing back audio, that's a different matter because it's a bit of a technical thing and I'll, I'll get to it. First one is EGA Garden States. EGA is Entheogenesis Australis uh, and they are holding a full day event on the 12th of May at Springvale Town Hall. Uh, the uh, EGA Garden States event will have a number of guest speakers, including one um, that I'm told will uh, impress everybody when it's announced, but I'm not allowed to know it yet. It is embargoed, um, but we will be finding out this week, I believe, uh, who the international guest is. But there will be a number of topics all focused on uh, plants, the plants where drugs come from in the first place. And that's another part of this whole story that perhaps people don't realise. I actually think that if we were to uh, engage in drug education properly in schools, the first place you could start, and you could start with, stick with me, 
with primary schoolers with very early age, I think you could start with toddlers really, is teaching kids about the plants around them because there are that that's where all of our drugs have come from not all of them are synthesized in fact many aren't synthesized from plants anymore because we've found uh, more sophisticated methods to isolate certain compounds using our uh, chemistry know-how but the the, the origins of a lot of these ideas, of a lot of the, the exploration is in the plants, the plants that are out there, plants, fungi, sometimes some animals, but mostly through plants. That's where a lot of these things came from, and that's where a lot of the um, traditional remedies still lie today, whether or not they're more effective or less effective than uh, the, uh, the more modern uh, remedies. Uh, usually the modern remedies have been uh, isolated to be more effective for certain things, so, you know, that's... That's just the, the progress of modernity, but we will be talking uh, about that field of study on Sunday, the 12th of May, Springvale Town Hall, EJ Garden States, and we'll be broadcasting live from there. Uh, the panel is Thin Green Line, and we're going to be talking about how uh, Australia's drug laws have interacted with uh, the plant world uh, over the, its ensuing years, and it's a bit of an interesting story. The second one, uh, it's a little bit earlier, so I've done that back to front. That's fine. Friday, May 3rd till Sunday, May 5th is Nimbin Mardi Gras. It's a protestival. That means it's sort of a protest, sort of a festival. It's a little bit in between. Uh, it's been going over 30 years, I think, now. It might be the 30th birthday pretty soon, or maybe it's this year. I can't, can't remember. Um, but it is on in the Nimbin uh, town. And um, the, the festival takes over Nimbin for that weekend. Uh, I'll be heading up there and hosting a panel focused on drug driving. So focused on uh, specifically cannabis um, driving and the fact that, and we've talked about this a lot on the show in the past, the fact that uh, you cannot determine through the tests that are used by Victoria Police, New South Wales Police, Queensland, by police all across Australia, uh, between impairment and a detection. They actually have two charges. The first charge is if they detect something in you, you will get a charge. But if they don't think you're impaired, you'll only get that one charge, which has a three to six month uh, automatic suspension of your license uh, and a small fine, few hundred dollar fine. But if they think you're impaired i.e. they actually think you're a risk to other road users, not just they've used some fancy technology to find out that you happen to be a person who uses drugs, but probably in a responsible manner uh, because you're probably not actually high right now, uh, you will get a, a further charge if you're impaired. Uh, so we're going to be talking about this as a bit of a, it's a, bit of a problem uh, because uh, the, the whole point here is road safety. I think we're in agreement with the police that road safety is absolutely paramount and we should be focusing on making the road safer for everyone. But that shouldn't be at the expense of people who uh, happen to take other compounds, whether or not they're legal or illegal. If you get to test somebody's uh, intimate body fluids um, for things that you want to consider a crime, then it has to be for a, for a good reason like road safety. It can't just be this sort of vague witch hunt, like, oh, well, you're on the road, so therefore we get to test you, and we're going to call it a road safety initiative, even though everybody knows it isn't. So that's going to be the topic that I'm um, going to be uh, talking about at Nibbin Mardi Gras. I'll have more details soon. Uh, a number of panellists um, will be there. They're the ones with the facts. I just point people in the right direction, hopefully. Uh, and, um, yeah, hopefully we can get to the 
bottom of it a little bit. Uh, so that's happening Friday, May 3rd till Sunday, the May 5th uh, in Nimbin Mardi Gras Festival. Um, just a quick 3CR announcement as well. All members of the Community Radio Federation, which owns and operates 3CR, are invited to attend our annual general meeting on Wednesday, the 27th of March at 6.30pm right here at the studios, 21 Smith Street uh, in Fitzroy. If you're a, a subscriber to 3CR, then you are welcome to come along. If you are not, then become a subscriber. 3cr.org.au, $35 for concessional pension, $75 for wage, $150 for solidarity bans or organisations. Uh, the meeting will be held upstairs here at 21 Smith Street and cover all the usual annual general meeting things. Uh, it is in Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. And this, uh, from New Zealand, is staunch... Staunch with rhetoric from the Where Your Shoes At EP, available at staunch.bandcamp.com or other places you get uh, you go to get quality tunes. This is in Psychedelia on 3CR, 855 AM, 3CR digital and 3cr.org.au. And on the line now with us is uh, Emily Blatchford. Uh, Emily is a researcher of alcohol and other drugs and the treasure, treasurer of Students for Sensible Drug Policy Australia. Emily, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, now, about nine months ago, we did catch up with you uh, about a study that you were doing uh, with Edith Cowan University. It was the uh, Drugs and Society study, wondering if, uh, and just to remind everybody, Drugs and Society, you were looking at uh, attitudes, I think it was, attitudes that people had uh, towards drugs um, pretty broadly. And uh, yeah, how, how, how's everything going with that? Yeah, so that's good. Um, now that the study's finished, I can tell you in more detail what I was actually looking at. And um, I hypothesized that people who had used psychedelics would score higher in empathy and pro-social behavior than people who had never had psychedelics. And I found that the personality of openness was significantly positively correlated with the frequency of past year psychedelic use, which is pretty exciting. Very interesting. Yeah. So people that had used psychedelics were more open-minded, um, tolerant of other people's values and viewpoints, uh, sensitive, uh, creative, um, etc. So and that was really exciting. Was it, was it a fairly significant uh, difference or was it um, small well, it difference? Was, it was a significant correlation. Um, but uh, in regards to the empathy and the uh, pro-social behaviour, unfortunately I didn't see much of a difference there, but I think that's because of the validity of some of the instruments I used. I think the, the online game that I used to measure sharing and pro-social behaviour wasn't very representative of a real-life situation, so I think there's definitely more research to be done in regards to that, um, because a lot of the previous research has said that there is um, a relationship between greater empathy and psychedelics. So we'll see. And um, where to from here? Now that you're finishing up on this one, does it? I, I'm not sure how it works. Do you like build another study based on your results, or you sort of? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So um, this was a thesis for psychology honors, and so now I'm working on publishing from that, hopefully um, soon. Um, and I'm also doing some other uh, drug and alcohol research as well. So, yeah, next step is publishing it in a journal to get the results out there. Um, yeah. 
And uh, what's the process for publishing a, a study like this about psychedelics in a journal? Does that just sort of go anywhere, or are there specific journals out there that are more, um, I don't know, more open to um, to these sorts of studies? Or oh, I'm not sure actually which journal would be more receptive to it. Yeah, I don't know. I think as long as the like the study is rigorous enough, and I think. Yeah, there, there shouldn't be too much trouble trying to publish it. But, yeah, I'm not it's sure, all, actually. I've not it's published all before, so, yeah, ah, we'll yeah, see. Yeah. It's all meant to be science, so I assume it's uh, pretty exactly. standard in the end. But, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I'd hope so. I'd yeah. hope so. <laughs> all right, well, um, Emily, you're going to stick with us um, as we interview a couple of people coming up. We are going to be speaking yep. to, uh, shortly, Tyson Coe from the Don't Kill Live Music Party uh, running in the New South Wales state election happening next Saturday. Uh, but after this, we are speaking with David Shoebridge, uh, Greens MP who has been uh, sitting since 2010 uh, and is up for re-election in uh, next Saturday. We'll chat to him awesome. shortly on three, three CR. And this is in psychedelia on three CR Community Radio eight five five AM three CR Digital and three CR org AU. Uh, we have uh, Emily Blatchford uh, who is on the line with us from SSDP Australia, uh, but also on the line uh, right now is uh, Greens MP. Uh, for New South Wales uh, in the Upper House, in the Legislative Council, David Shoebridge, who is an environmental and social justice activist and former industrial law barrister. Uh, he's been sitting in his seat since 2010 and is up for re-election this weekend, this Saturday, with the New South Wales state election. David, welcome to the program. Yeah, happy to be here, Nick. So, David, um, over the past few years, we've seen out of your office the Sniff-Off um, page, which has um, uh, focused uh, attention on the Sniffer Dog program in New South Wales, which is far more broad than in Victoria. Uh, we actually saw some pictures this week of some uh, of some tents or something, some barricades set up at a train station that uh, uh, somebody was saying uh, or suggesting might have been there for strip searching. And um, we know that sniffer dogs uh, have been going through train stations, through other public areas, uh, even though uh, 75% of the time they are incorrect. And I think you found out that the program is um, pretty pricey as well. Can you... Talk to us a little bit about how Sniff Off has gone and what's going to happen um, with Sniff Off um, uh, in in the future. Well, well, Nick, yeah, my office is very committed to Sniff Off. It's one of the key ways that we have an outreach, particularly with um, young people in, in New South Wales. And I think people follow Sniff Off from across the country. <coughs> Pardon me. And it's about more than just um, drug dogs and alerting where drug dogs are. That's its sort of core function. Whenever... Um, followers of Sniff Off see a drug dog operation happening, you know, pretty regularly at train stations across Sydney, like Redfern and Newtown, and um, anywhere where young people or people of colour tend to gather, that's where drug dog operations tend to happen. But Sniff Off has also become, I think, a pretty key place where we talk about drug reform, drug law reform more, more generally. It's been the place where we've really launched our campaign, <coughs> our campaign to legalise cannabis. And more recently, our campaign to legalise MDMA in New South Wales. And um, and I've got to say, it's, it's, it's going from strength to strength. Last time I looked, Sniff Off had just ticked over um, 50,000 um, likes and followers. So it's a, it's, it's a growing voice because yep. it's speaking for people that are too often being ignored by, by, by the major parties and ignored by politics. Um. 
Yeah, David, I, I was just curious. Um, do you think that if Labor were to win the election and they were to hold this drug summit, do you think that pill testing would actually be considered and if the evidence said that it would be uh, worthwhile implementing a trial, do you think that the politicians would listen to the researchers' evidence? Well, it would be a nice change in any state parliament if the politicians actually listened to the evidence on drug law reform, wouldn't it? It would be... It'd be a kind of charming breakthrough moment in, in politics in Australia. I mean, because all the evidence goes one way on pill testing. You know, it saves people's lives, gives young people information. It doesn't encourage people to use drugs who weren't otherwise using drugs. I mean, it's just the evidence is so comprehensively in favour of pill testing. So at the moment, all the, all the Labor has said is they'll have a summit. I mean, uh, it's because I think they feel politically vulnerable if they ever say anything like, acknowledge the reality that young people in particular will continue to take drugs regardless of what the Premier says or the opposition leader says. Um, so look, mm. my hope is we force a minority Labor government with Greens in the crossbench here in New South Wales, we force a minority Labor government not just to have a drug summit, but to actually then implement, force them to implement the recommendations that come out of that drug summit. And I would have thought it starts with pill testing but it should also seriously consider legalising cannabis and legalising MDMA. That's quite... Yeah, awesome. The MDMA <laughs> point in particular is something that's um, uh, it's exciting to see, but um, we have seen, you know, people like Alex Wodak, like David Pennington, these are big names who have been around a long time who have called for MDMA legalisation. Uh, David Pennington did, you know, decades ago. Um, so, I mean... <laughs> If if it were to be legalised, let's give people an idea of what what sort of how would this work? Like, would people just pop down to the Seven uh, Eleven and grab some MDMA from behind the counter? Like, how does this how does it work, David? Um, well, look, I mean, we've got a pretty straightforward um, uh, regime for MDMA. It would be supplied only by a licensed government supplier. It'd be sold in plain packaging at pharmacists. It'd be sold at a guaranteed concentration with a whole detailed series of detailed um, user information and health information. And it would be sold only to people who are aged over 18 years and only in quantities for personal use. Um, that seems pretty, pretty straightforward policy, really. And it would be sold at a price where it's not going to be undercut by the black market. Um, so plain packaging, um, guaranteed concentrations, guaranteed not to have impurities in it, um, um, uh, at pharmacies, only to people who can provide an ID that they're over 18. And, of course, you know, like with, like with alcohol and tobacco, you'd have um, uh, criminal penalties um, uh, for anybody who supplied MDMA to a minor. Um, yeah, interesting. Cool. Right really? Um, do you think this would be somewhere in between the medical model and the recreational model that we have for alcohol and tobacco? Like, do you think that we would have to be prescribed, or do you think you can just get it over the counter? No, it'd be over the counter. I mean, yeah. I mean it, it wouldn't be, it, it's not, it won't be a prescription drug. It'd be over the counter at a pharmacy, but upon the production of ID that you can prove that you're over 18 years of age, and obviously it's only for personal use. Um, yeah. And, um, I mean, that regime will, will, will actually in many ways step past the debate we're having on field testing because you won't need to test it because you'll know what the nature of the drug is, you'll know its concentration, you'll know it doesn't have impurities, and you'll have detailed medical advice about how to most safely use it. It won't be risk-free. 
like alcohol and tobacco isn't risk-free, but it'll be vastly, vastly safer. So... One of the other things that's, uh, that's come up, and it's because of this debate, the pill testing debate, but it's sort of got sidelined um, a little bit with uh, Don't Kill Live Music. So uh, a focus on music festivals as a scapegoat for government inaction on the drug policy. And w- what we've seen is uh, Gladys uh, and the uh, New South Wales government cracking down and introducing what look... Uh, and for, we've spoken to a few uh, festival organisers... Uh, are excessive regulations going, uh, first of all, not understanding how festivals uh, do their emergency management in the first place. They haven't even bothered to consult them and then trying to apply these, um, these, these, uh, uh, these regulations that were just um, onerous, expensive and giving a lot of power to one or two organisations, usually the police, to veto whether or not a, a festival can even go ahead. What, what's going to happen um, if uh, if there is a change of government at the New South Wales election? Are we going to see these rolled back immediately? Uh, do, do you know, um, yeah, I mean, what's going to happen to music festivals? Well, and, yeah, music more generally, culture more generally in New South Wales, because there's also the lockout laws and so on. Well, well, I mean, the, the Greens were the only party in the New South Wales Parliament that voted against the lockout laws. You know, Labor came in lockstep with them. Most of the independents came in lockstep with them. Um, you know, the Nationals and Liberals all voted in the lockout laws in this, you know, moment of moral panic. And I've got to say, the Greens were the only party who just said, no, you know, uh, young people need to be able, uh, people more generally, need to be able to have a nightlife and um, have a bit of fun in in a global city. I mean, it's just, we, we were, I think, um, quite um, distressed by the way, once again, we saw the moral panic um, drive a really bad law without considering the consequences. And it's been not dissimilar on festivals. You know, we've seen we've seen uh, politicians from both sides of the record demonising festivals as though somehow a music festival is suddenly a, an extremely dangerous event um, when we when we know it's not. And, and in fact, the Premier's response to her failing war on drugs, she can't stop drugs. The police have never shown themselves even slightly capable of stopping the supply of illegal drugs. So she's looking around, Premier Berejiklian is looking around for something she can stop, and she's decided she can stop music festivals. You know, send in the fun police and shut down music festivals if you can't shut down the drug supply. It's like, um, it, it's the worst of this kind of law and order reactionary politics. And, yeah, I think Labor will be better. But there's still a bunch of people in the ALP um, who are 100% committed to having a police-only response to drugs and are deeply worried about being beaten up in places like the Daily Telegraph and and Shock Jock and are therefore going to be very, very slow to undo Berejiklian's um, uh, machinery. And, of course, the job of the Greens, especially if we have a minority parliament, is to actually rapidly um, um, demolish that sort of police-driven machinery that Berejiklian has put in. Yeah, wow. Um, oh, so much to consider. Um, uh, yeah, so um, how do you think we can move from drug reform for the most privileged, uh, so people at festivals, um, to maybe some drug law reform for people that are more marginalised, they might be homeless, have a mental illness, or incarcerated? Um, yeah, how could we go about helping those people? Well, well I think 
I think the really good news is we're winning this. We're winning the argument um, across Australia in, you know, what's called the water cooler argument, the discussion that people are having at their workplace and over the dinner table. We're winning that argument. They know. People know that the police-only response is not an answer to drugs. <clears throat> I, I, I don't think we, we've yet won the argument on, say, for example, legalising MDMA, but it's been spoken about now like it's never been spoken about before. And having the Greens come out as a significant political player and actually putting it on the table is, I think, a breakthrough. And I've had a bunch of drug law reform advocates um, thankful that we're doing this. Um, but, but, you know, my view of Parliament is they're very reactionary. They're very slow-moving. And the job of myself as a Greens, um, you know, activist Greens MP is to make the case in the community and then through that that collective voice in the community force our parliaments to act. And in some ways, what we're doing in New South Wales is we're holding the line to stop the very worst of it, which will otherwise spread to other states and territories as well. If we're not having the battle in New South Wales, well, we'll see this sort of police contagion um, spread to other states and territories. That's exactly why I um, came up for the Don't Kill Live Music um, uh, protest at Hyde Park a couple of weeks ago because uh, we were concerned um, that that it is it, it could spread. We've had similar rhetoric a couple of years ago. There was a, a, an exclusive that uh, the crime reporter from Herald Sun did uh, with our police minister where she said that she was going to crack down hard on music festivals. Um, nothing actually seemed to come out of that. We, didn't, we, we kept our eye out for legislation that came through, but the rhetoric's there. The rhetoric's at the same level. It just seems that there's some different, something different going on in Victoria where we're not quite seeing it, but it is important that we remind ourselves that uh, we need to support our, our friends across the border in New South Wales. We need to remind ourselves that uh, through, through COAG, through the conversations that happen across Australia, things spread. And that includes bad ideas as well as good ideas. Good ideas spread too. Good ideas have been spreading fantastically, but so do bad ideas. And um, thank you for your efforts so far, David. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, I've got to head off to a vigil. It's a, we're attending a vigil at three o'clock, and I'm emceeing for the um, for this appalling um, massacre um, driven, I think, by some pretty ugly politics in Christchurch. So yeah. um, I'd love to keep chatting, and no, always no, happy to come on your program and appreciate the work you guys do. Thank you so much, David. You uh, take care and good luck next Saturday. Thanks very much. Cheers, guys. David Shoebridge is the Greens MP. Is a Greens MP in New South Wales. Uh, he is uh, contesting the state election this Saturday, uh, and he's also his office is also the home of the Sniff Off uh, page. If you want to follow Sniff Off, you can find it on Facebook and Twitter. Um, they talk about not just the sniffer dogs, but also drug law reform more broadly. And you heard there um, supporting both cannabis and MDMA legalisation. I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Um, I know. Um, Alex Wodak from the uh, Drug Law Reform Association. I think they are, DLRA. Uh, he, uh, he recently spoke about MDMA legalisation as well. And it, it is the sort of substance where if we were to legalise it, we, we would be able to uh, eradicate a lot of the problems associated with MDMA at the moment, which are associated with a black market and not with the drug itself. It's not to say that there aren't inherent risks with that drug, as there are with any drug, including alcohol, including tobacco, including the medicines uh, that you use to keep you healthy. There are always side effects, there are always downsides. 
we need to we need to have better conversation about those sorts of things. But um, MDMA would be much safer and a uh, alternative that people uh, could potentially have uh, to alcohol if it were to uh, be available through a legal and regulated means. Uh, this is in psychedelia on three CR. 855 AM 3CR Digital and 3CR.org.au right now. Eight Foot Felix with Mad Isle. Uh, very quiet into the to the song there. That is uh, Eight Foot Felix with Mad island on in psychedelia on 3cr community radio oh look it's that's why it's one of those songs that keeps going with some like fangled nonsense at the end uh on this afternoon's program we are talking the new south wales state election it is happening this saturday gladys berejiklian's liberal government is up for election uh and considering the past few months she has not made herself a uh a um particularly good candidate um or the government look particularly uh, good uh, for those who enjoy to go out and see music, who like to go to music festivals, who um, might have a different taste in psychoactive substance to others, although that's generally most of the party's prohibition still holds the status quo. Uh, my name is Nick, and uh, we also have Emily Blatchford uh, on the line. But um, right now, uh, joining us from the Keep Sydney Open party is Tyson Coe, who I believe is the um, founder of the party. Tyson, welcome to the program. Yes. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, founder and also lead candidate in the upper house. So you're the one that, um, if the votes if the votes go well, you could be having a seat in New South Wales Parliament next weekend. Well, that's right, but hopefully there'll be a couple of us. Oh yes, excellent. So okay, let, t- tell us a little bit about what the Keep Sydney Open Party is, where you came from, uh, what your goals are. Just give us a summary. Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, we're one of the youngest political parties in the country, really. Um, We've only been around for one year. But before that, we were quite a well-known campaign that was, uh, yeah, started to um, started in response to the lockout laws, which uh, are world famous. And I know that uh, it's a great um, Achilles heel in Sydney when it comes to people from Melbourne, uh, giving us a good... uh, Good, good ribbing. So, yeah, anyway, look, um, the reason why we were so upset about the lockout laws um, was because of all sorts of things. We knew that it was going to hurt venues, that it was going to hurt the live music scene, uh, DJs, uh, minority cultures, whether that's, um, whether that's different uh, ethnic groups that, uh, that have their late-night entertainment, whether that's the LGBTQI community. So we knew that it was more than just about going out, that it was really about our whole identity as uh, as a city and uh, and so we came to the fore to try and fight that um, now we weren't getting the results that we wanted so we decided to become a political party and since then we've expanded our remit to focus on culture more broadly um, both day and night of course the music festivals issue uh, plays into that but also I think there's this element of um, distrust when it comes to the state government because people thought, well, who are these lockout laws for? I mean, the casino uh, is able to trade 24-7 and now we're seeing all these massive high-rise developments where nightclubs and, and pubs used to be. So there's this element of um, of suspicion. Is the government acting in our best interest or are they acting 
in the interest of big business. So, yeah, corruption is a really big platform of ours too. Um, what do you think about politicians who identify as having used drugs in the past? Do you think it's important for people to be out and honest about their drug use to try and uh, get some drug law reform like pill testing and you talked about um, yeah, other types of things? Yeah, well, look, um, I don't think um, in terms of um, politicians having taken drugs or not having taken drugs, um, I really don't think that's relevant. I think what it's about is having a look at evidence. And for us as a party, that's what we think is sorely, um, sorely lacking with policymaking, is having a look at evidence in a rational way. Um, where have they tried decriminalisation? Where have they tried legalisation? Where have they tried pill testing? Has it worked or has it not worked? Also, where are the real harms in society? Because we know that, uh, tragic as it is, when uh, someone dies um, as a result of an overdose or maybe um, having um, a, a deadly substance um, in what they thought was uh, ecstasy or what have you, um, that's less than 1% of, uh, of drug-related deaths. We know that overwhelmingly... Uh, the most at-risk category of people from drugs, uh, middle-aged people, um, and uh, it's as a result of uh, abusing prescription drugs like benzos and oxycodone. So, you know, where is the hysteria around that? I think if you take a rational approach, then you realise that's where the danger is. So let's focus our attention there, not on young kids who just want to have fun at a music festival. So one of... Yeah. One of, one of the catalysts as well, Tyson, for um, the the lockout laws in the first place was the, uh, uh, what do they call it, coward's punch or something. It was a, it was a death of a young man um, by somebody who was uh, intoxicated, who punched them, and it was uh, a punch that happened in such a way that he happened to die. Same with the festival regulations. The crackdowns have happened because people have died. Um, what, what I mean, what are your... What are your solutions to these things? You've mentioned already that a lot of this is based in moral hysteria, which um, I think we can, you know, agree upon. But how do how do we get out of this? How do we how do we see a new path forward? Sure. Well, you know, I think in Sydney we really went through a period of soul searching around uh, those one punch incidents. I mean, you know, when it comes to safety on the streets, as someone who still likes to go out in my mid thirties. The people who are being kept safe are people like me. So we're definitely not against safety. In fact, um, finding uh, solutions to increase safety on our streets um, has been a priority of ours from day one. So the question is, does it have to be one or the other, or can we find a win-win situation that allows people to go out until whatever time they want uh, while being kept safe at the same time. So once again, looking at the evidence, we have a look at uh, what the plans of management are in other world cities. For example, your city in Melbourne, you've got 24-hour trains on the weekend now, and we don't have that in Sydney. Uh, instead, and at the time, there was no Uber. Uh, there was a taxi changeover period. I used to detail in Kings Cross, and I would have to walk for about 45 minutes to get home because there were no trains, were no buses, were no cabs. Uh, in that, In that... Um, so in that sense, yes, let's put on 24-hour transport. Let's have a look at policing strategies because we just don't see police on the streets um, in a community capacity. What we see in Sydney instead is um, 10 to 15 
police swarming on a venue with sniffer dogs harassing uh, patrons inside that venue when most of these violent incidents happen out on the street, not inside venues. So I think if we just sharpened up the transport, sharpened up police, um, already we would see results and it would allow people to go out and be kept safe. And where do Keep Sydney Open stand on medical versus recreational models for different drugs? We were talking to David Shoebridge before, who was advocating for MDMA over-the-counter. Would you agree um, for that? And what about for different drugs such as codeine, which was recently uh, turned into a prescribed medication? Do you think that we could have some of these drugs over-the-counter as well? Well, look, um, I think um, it's a matter of, once again, just having a look at the evidence. Um, it's certainly um, neither of those um, uh, of those uh, outcomes of some, uh, are anything that we would be opposed to. Um, but in terms of um, what is the best way forward, I think, um, yeah, potentially um, what, uh, what David says could be something that we do in the future. But, you know, we also understand that, you know, the community is a little bit slow uh, on the uptake sometimes when it comes to progressing with uh, policies such as drug policies. So, what we want to see, and it's part of our uh, platform as Keeps Sydney Open, is definitely to legalise cannabis. I mean, for us, that's a no-brainer. It's already been done in parts of the US and Canada and other parts of the world. So, um, so that's what we, what we want to see happen first. And I think in order to allay the fears of the community, I think we do somewhat have to take it step by step. Uh, but, uh, but what uh, David recommends is not something we would be opposed to. Uh, so... Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, it's good to hear because it is an interesting suggestion that's come through, and it seems to be one that is gaining um that that sort of political capital. It's an idea that isn't just being thrown to the side as absurd. People are going, oh well, maybe. Um, and, I mean that could be just the uh, generation that's coming through, um, and uh, the the knowledge as well that the internet has um allowed to to spread. Um, now are there any other sorts of um any other issues that are on Keep Sydney Open's radar uh for this uh. New South Wales election. Um, I'm in Victoria. Emily's in New South Wales, so she's more familiar with the um, New South Wales issues. But what else has been going on? Yeah, look, um, one of the hot potato topics of this election is stadiums. Now, the government has committed uh, about $2 billion um, not towards building new stadiums, but for knocking down existing stadiums and then uh, then building um, new ones in their place. Uh, And so this is something that um, conceptually we're opposed to uh, just simply because why are we having to pay for it when there is a Sydney Cricket Ground Trust, which um, is cashed up, um, you know, in terms of the business case for rebuilding these stadiums. It's just not there. The numbers don't stack up. And, uh, you know, we're talking about some very lucrative sporting codes here that pay their executives in some cases, close to a million dollars per year. So, um, so we just don't accept um, the need for the taxpayer to rebuild these stadiums. By all means, um, by all means, uh, build them. But uh, but we want to see a contribution from the private sector. Um, and uh, there's there's a lot of other issues as well. I mean, as, as usual, you know, we're talking about roads, we're talking about uh, schools and hospitals. And for us, you know, this is um, somewhat removed from what our original remit is, which is lockouts, nightlife and culture. But that being said, um, a report came out saying that the New South Wales economy is short by $16 billion because of 
the state government's anti-nightlife policy. The nighttime economy um, could be a main driver of the state's economy, but instead we're opting out of that because the government refuses to listen to us on that issue. Uh, $16 billion, you know, that's what could be going towards schools, roads and hospitals. So I think um, ultimately what the community want to see is a government that's there in their interest, not there to serve casinos, not there to serve um, mining companies or, or, or big developers. And, um, you know, that is, that is essentially what we demand from government and what we want to deliver if we get elected. Yeah. So um, we were talking before about cannabis legalisation. Do you think Keep City Open would like that to be uh, able to be purchased in stores as it is in Canada, like alcohol and tobacco, or would you see that as uh, in pharmacies? Would you have to talk to a doctor first? Where does Keep City Open stand on that? Yeah, well, look, I mean, people smoke cannabis recreationally. Um, That's just a matter of fact. I mean, my... My my dad, he's in his 70s. He still smokes weed, you know. I mean, like, this isn't even a generational issue. Uh, this is this is just a human issue. And, um, and I think that, um, you know, when it comes to legalisation, there's all sorts of effects. It's not just, um, you know, not being criminalised for doing something which isn't hurting anybody else, but it also has an impact on the black market too. Um, the quality and the safety around the drug use goes up. So absolutely, we'd like to see it um, in shops and uh, and not uh, just um, not being used um, purely for medicinal purposes. Yeah, that's great to hear. Awesome. Uh, we're just about out of time, Tyson, but if there's uh, one final message that you might have for any uh, New South Wales listeners, that we'll have the podcast out shortly as well, but uh, any, any uh, final message for New South Wales listeners that might be able to vote for the Keep Sydney Open party? Yeah, well, look, I mean, as I say, we are a really young party and um, and we'd like to think that we represent a wide range of the community. I mean, um, as the leader of the party, I'm actually the only person of colour um, that is leading a political party um, at the New South Wales election. And uh, the average age of our candidates, I think, is 30 or even less than 30. So we have um, a very fresh perspective on, on issues. We're backed by evidence. And, uh, and I think that if you are frustrated with how things are going in New South Wales, well, don't vote the same way that you voted over the last few elections. I mean, that's the definition of madness. So, you know, we're still an evolving um, party and we actually don't just want you to vote for us, but we want you to get involved, help us shape policy and help us shape New South Wales uh, in the years ahead. Tyson Coe, thank you very much for joining us on In Psychedelia this afternoon. An absolute pleasure. Thank you. Tyson is the leader of the Keep Sydney Open Party contesting the New South Wales state election this Saturday. Uh, For any New South Wales uh, listeners, you can find out more about them by looking up the Keep Sydney Open Party on social media or uh, on the web. And, uh, I mean, Emily, what's your your take? You're the New South Wales expert. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm very interested to see how this election goes. I hope that... I hope that um, we can get some more progressive opinions in the people that are representing this state. And um, if anyone is interested in seeing what different parties uh, believe about some of these topics, Students for Sensible Drug Policy have actually just put out a scorecard that lists the major parties and where they stand on each of the particular drug issues. So you can find that at our Facebook page if you would like some more information about who to vote for.
Excellent. So that's Students for Sensible Drug Policy Australia. Uh, we'll also repost that on our own social media and uh, website, which I'll talk more about in just a tick. This is in Psychedelia on 3CR. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. Nearly up for us, about five minutes till three uh, on In Psychedelia on 3CR this afternoon. We have been talking the New South Wales state election with Emily Blatchford from Students for Sensible Drug Policy Australia on the line who just mentioned that uh, if you want to find out a bit of a scorecard from SSDP uh, about some of the parties, you can find that on their social media. Um, wanted to announce as well that we have a new website that will be launched this afternoon. Um, not quite yet because I have to get out of the studio and go sit somewhere else with my computer to switch it all over. But in psychedelia.org or uh, head to 3cr.org.au and follow the links to the program page. You can link uh, to our website there. Uh, All the podcasts, all of the finally, they're all updated. All of 2019's podcasts are online now, so you can subscribe. Excuse me. Via your favorite, um, uh, by your uh, favorite podcasting app, Uh, they will be regularly updated. I promise we are expanding our technical team so that we can take care of these things more regularly. We've got a new website that's launched, which will have uh, all sorts of extra information about the show uh, all the time. So you can find out about the news stories we talk about, the campaigns that we mentioned, the events that are coming up, uh, the scorecards, things like what SSDP Australia are up to. And uh, I mean, what we do here as well is a a lot of... Like we, we don't necessarily do a lot of uh, the investigating work ourselves. What we do is we find the people in the community. We're a network of people, people like Emily Blatchford, who come on and uh, share with us uh, what they've been up to, uh, their their own research and um, and uh, the, the the fruits of their own organisations. We are a network for bringing these voices together and broadcasting them uh, to Melbourne. But we'd like to broadcast them further, uh, especially through the podcast. So please subscribe three crorgau follow the links to the Encyclopedia program page. Uh, Emily, any final thoughts for the New South Wales election next Saturday? Consider who you vote for and let's get rid of Liberal. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds pretty sem- sensible, yeah. Uh, thank you very much for um, being with us on the program today, Emily. Re- really appreciated it and um, enjoy your afternoon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Enjoy the rest of your day. And that was Emily Blatchford, who is um, uh, from New South Wales. She's a researcher of alcohol and other drugs and also the treasurer of Students for Sensible Drug Policy Australia. That's about uh, just about it for us this afternoon. I'm going to wrap it up slowly. I might finish on a quick anecdote. This morning I did head along to um, the Preston Mosque. Uh, it is um, the open day, mosque open day, until 4pm. So if you're still out and about, you're looking for something to do, uh, head down to your local mosque. They're being... Uh, they're, they're, I mean, it's 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 just nice. I, I'm not really a religious person, but I... it's. You know, I, I, I like to have my disagreements uh, over a cup of tea and have a chat about it. I, I don't... You know... I, I like to talk about these things. I'm very interested in religion. I'm just not religious myself. Uh, and we had a chat at Preston Mosque um, with the big spire and the big dome. It's very impressive. Uh, and they're all over. Uh, there's about 20 of them open till 4 p.m. If you want to find out more, icv.org.au. And in the future, we'll talk a little bit about psychedelics and Islam because there is a link. There are drugs in all of the religions. Uh, Queering the Area is up next. Enjoy your afternoon. Bye bye. This is In Psychedelia. 
Comments, complaints or contributions are welcome. Jump on the 3CR website. 3cr.org.au and head to the Encyclopedia program page. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter or send us an email. Encyclopedia does not condone or condemn people who use drugs for their choices. Our aim is to present the diverse intersections of psychoactive drugs and society. If you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, DirectLine provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-800-888-236. In Psychedelia, we'll be back on 3CR from 2pm next Sunday. This has been a 3CR podcast. You can hear in Psychedelia live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.